Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Little Brown School and Library podcast. I'm your host today, Victoria Stapleton, Director of School and Library Marketing. Today, our guest is Leslie C. Youngblood, author of a fantastic title called Love Like Sky, a delightful middle grade book featuring Georgie, also known as G-Baby. It is truly fantastic, and I'm so pleased to have Leslie with us today. Leslie C. Youngblood was raised in Rochester, New York, but born in Bogalusa, Louisiana, a town of about 12,000 people. So, a small town where everybody knows everything else. Leslie's a graduate of Georgia State University, and she completed her MFA in creative writing at the University of North Carolina in Greensboro. She's been awarded the 2014 Yaddo Elizabeth Ames Residency, as well as a Hurston Wright Scholarship. She's won several short story awards, including the Go On Girl Emerging Writer Award and a Room of Her Own Orlando Short Fiction Prize. When she is not writing or reading, she enjoys watching Chopped, Excellent Choice, Shark Tank, I'm a Little Scared, or vintage shows like Columbo. (gasps) Just one more thing. Welcome, Leslie. I'm so excited to have you with us today on the podcast. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Victoria. I'm so excited to have you and Love Like Sky on our list. I instantly fell in love with Georgie. I think uh, middle grade is such an important um, literary space. So I want to talk to you a bit about the origins of the novel and how you put together such a captivating character. But I am really intrigued that you are from a small town in Louisiana. I know you were raised in Rochester, but a a small town of 12,000, and that's sort of the size that everybody knows everything about you, and yet they don't know anything (laughs) about you at the same time, and children having to navigate that. Coming from that background, what initially inspired you to become an author and to love words? When When did you start to fall in love with language? I come from a small town, and Rochester isn't huge, but of course it's much bigger than Bogalusa, but I've always been around people who love stories. Now, this is maybe a little different from other people who write or my contemporaries, but not in, they love books, but I was not one who grew up with a lot of books. Mm -hmm. I grew up with the oral tradition of, come over here, my mom is telling a story. She's telling us about the time she did this or she did that. That's what I grew up with. So I learned that oral tradition really before I fell in love with print. Oh, I love that. Um, I remember when I was a little kid, I would spend a lot of summer nights hiding under the dining room table while my aunts and uncles and big cousins played pinochle into the wee hours of the morning. And, and they would tell each other stories, remember, and what about that time? And, and hearing them tell stories. And I remember just being... Um, fascinated by that insight into the adult world and as I was reading Love Like Sky thinking about Georgie and how she's having to navigate that new family and new home arrangement and and thinking about her new sister uh, but also Peaches and and thinking about stories so I can see how your background with storytelling really came into the novel. I love dialogue And, you know, (laughs) it's a blessing and a curse sometimes. I can write dialogue. I love it. I live there to the point where I forget to write the tags or more of the setting. I love to hear people talk. I love the language. I love the sound of talking. I love eavesdropping. And 
that really informs Love Light Sky, just that dialogue between Peaches and G-Baby or Georgie and, the, as you said, the older parents, the parents, and how kids pick up bits and pieces of that language, and they try to figure out what does that mean. And sometimes it's misinterpreted, which mm-hmm. is comedic sometimes, but a lot of times they're just trying to figure out what is being said. I'm really interested to hear you talk about dialogue because I think almost the entire book, Georgie is almost talking to herself inside her head. Mm-hmm. Can you hear Georgie inside your head? I do. I do hear Georgie. And I do think that I'm a writer. I hear dialogue almost as if I'm listening to it being told to me. And I, I'm just here to, to bring it to life, to put it in book form. But I really hear the dialogue of Georgie and Peaches talking, and, and I just try to embody it and, and go with it. And, and I think that that is just how it's always been for me, you know. And I think that is the most natural way that, that I access their language. And I'm able to capture that 11-year-old and that 6-year-old. I just pretend that I see them and I hear them talking and I get close, as close as possible. You mind if we back up for one second? Totally. Outside of hearing my parents and, you know, my mom especially and my great uncles and aunts talk about their stories and, and what they wanted to share, I want to talk about that moment I absolutely fell in love with books. As a kid, I, I went to the library. I loved books as a younger person, but they were not presented to me. Um, I was uh, the oldest and I was the one in charge of everything. So I would be responsible for making sure the homework was done while my mom was working. My mom was a single parent before she was married. I was, I was in my 20s when I fell in love with books and I knew that writing was what I wanted to do with my life. I was a receptionist at a, a government agency. I was sitting there and I was flipping through magazines in between calls and a receptionist, I'll never forget, her name was Nettie. Nettie gave me a copy of Go Tell It on the Mountain. She just says, hey, I think you'll like this book. I had never heard of Baldwin at the time. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of Go Tell It on the Mountain. I read it for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And Victoria, I promise you, I changed my major, which was marketing, to creative writing the next day. So I am a living testimony that books can change your life. Absolutely. And it changed my life. I cannot remember having that kind of experience with literature that I, I had with James Baldwin, and I knew that's what I wanted to do. Oh, I mean, it's, I, just, I just tear up even thinking about it right now. It's, it was just amazing. Baldwin is such an amazing example. You were speaking earlier of hearing your family stories and hearing your family tell each other stories. When I think about the experience of reading Baldwin, I, I think about how he puts language together. I don't understand all the resonances of his work, but... I do also think it's so important to read Baldwin aloud to feel how that language flows through you because of how he put sounds, syllables together into meaning. It's, it's just magical. So I see how you fell in love with books and writing from, from reading Baldwin. 
it, it is ma- it is magical, masterful, magical. It's, it's everything. Same with, with Morrison. That all comes together, and I do listen to audible books. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I listen to the sound because I love language so much. And that cadence, that rhythm, especially that, that children can have, mm-hmm. I really wanted to bring that to Love Light Sky because, you know, not only for little black girls and black boys, but for kids of, of you know, all over, that they can resonate with the book. It, it resonates with them. It, it touches them. And you want them on some level to have an experience with the book that you have had. Mm-hmm. That is why you try to take adult themes. You have divorce. You have illness. And there has to be a way for kids to navigate and to manage those things. So when asked, you know, what I'm, what I was trying to, to do with Georgie or her voice, mm-hmm. it's really to take her voice and to help another kid, to, to help another child that was is experienced something that they don't quite know how to navigate. And maybe through Georgie, through Georgie's voice or through her little sister Peaches, they can get a, a better idea. If Georgie can do it, I can do it. If she can understand that, I can understand that. And, you know, I, I really think that is what my mission as a writer is, is whether it's an adult or a child, but it's in, in, in this adult uh, kids literature is to make sure that I'm giving kids something that can help them understand the adult world. It does go back to the stories that that kids have to tell each other because they are trying to talk their way through understanding adult decisions. Georgie's inner monologue is so much about talking her way through what she's done, what she said, trying to understand what her parents have done, what her mother, what her stepfather's done, uh, what her older sister is is doing and talking her way through getting approval from those older folks. Did you begin hearing Georgie? I did. And I would have to say that I began hearing Georgie and also understand that sometimes adults are talking and communicate and communicating with children, but are they really connecting? Yes. And often say, for instance, me, this is, we understand in, in the plot of the book that, the younger sister becomes ill. So that's not that's not a spoiler alert. But understand, the parents are so busy trying to deal with that. And there's Georgie left with really just her inner monologue to try to understand what is really happening. So, I mean, I'll take this back to personally, when I was um, younger, my younger sister became ill, a serious illness. One day she was here, next day she was gone. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness she survived, but she was gone to the hospital. The parents were so busy trying to make sure she was okay that I I felt helpless. And so sometimes we're dealing with a sense of powerlessness that middle graders are experiencing. And I want to try, as a lot of uh, kids writers do, to give them some power. As you see in, in the novel, Georgie wants to try to help not only Peaches, but her. Um, she tries to help her big sister. She tries to help her best friend. So sometimes we're giving kids that power that they may not have in real life. And I think that's very important. So when I hear Georgie, I hear her searching for answers mm-hmm. in hopes that I'm giving other younger kids answers as well. 
Georgie's moments of embarrassment over a faux pas or a mistake or even a transgression, how she thinks about it is very familiar to me. Huge potato head is a phrase I will be taking for my own life. But I do remember a very specific moment. My own parents divorced when I was a middle grader. But I do remember a very particular day when I had innocently said something to my father and my mother found out about it. And the sense of heat, the sense of uh, enclosure of my body, but also I remember very vividly talking my way through my answer that I would give my mother and talked my way through the feeling that I was experiencing. So when I see Georgie, and her inner monologue of these moments, trying to orient herself, trying to describe the world around her for herself so that she can make sense of it. I think that's such a universal feeling. We as adults, I certainly have forgotten this, even though secretly I think I'm a 10-year-old child still, and many would agree with that. I'm not. I'm from years old. I remember the 70s from the first time it happened. It's that sense of we have such big feelings as children. And adults forget that children have such big feelings, but not words to say what the feelings are. Uh, That's true. Not words to, to describe, to navigate, to orient, to lessen the feeling, to process the feeling. And I think you've captured so well how G-Baby does that process for herself. Thank you. When I, when I think of it, I like to also think that, you know, in books... We're not only giving kids that sense of power, but we're exposing them to not maybe another example of their experience or giving them a, a, a glimpse into experience that they did not have. They say, for instance, people, when they read I Love Like Sky, there's a lot of family. She has not only one dad, she has a stepdad mm -hmm. as well. Now, my, my experience, and see, I'm, I'm a writer that I deal with realistic fiction, I love to believe that I'm putting myself on the page in, you know, some regards. So I, I like to share a personal stories. I did not personally grow up with my biological father. Mm -hmm. To create a world where I'm creating Georgie, who not only has the biological father, but a stepfather who loves her too. So for those kids that were without that, I'm giving them a story where they can insert themselves, feel how, how that, that feels. And that's a big thing as well. And I think that that was important for me to do. When people say, write what you know, that is, people think that's what I did in this story, which I did to some degree, but I believe that I really focused on what I did not know. I really do not know how it feels to have a biological father, to grow up with that biological father. So I think that process of trying to figure it out helps me inform Georgie to the to the degree that I, I, I think what would it have been like. And I think sometimes that opens up a wonder that as an author, you stumble on organic things that you never would have thought. So what was there something you discovered? I discovered that parents, I guess I know this in adulthood, but I can take myself back to that time as a child and really understand that parents are just trying to work it out as well. They're, they have the flaws. They have things that, as a child, we're not privy to. Just like, you know, Georgie is not privy to a lot. But I, I would think that I am helping a younger kid discover that early on 
that mom and dad are, are not perfect, that they're trying to figure it out. If mom and dad are not perfect, then perhaps they can feel that they don't have to be perfect. And, you know, and ultimately, as with the, the title, the love that they are showing in most cases, hopefully, is the best that they can do at the moment. And the decisions that they make are the best decisions that they're trying to make at the moment. And that's hard for kids to understand, you know. And I think Georgie, she's processing this and she's trying to help her sister that is what I'm hoping that younger kids will take away that, hey, Georgie's just trying to figure out, I can I can figure it out as well. And my parents are doing the best that they can. And, and that's a lot of what parenting is. So you're trying to work with the emotional truth. Exactly. I, I, I do a lot of that. <laughs> you know, I don't, I would hope that I didn't do too much, but you know, kids, that is the time that they're dealing with emotions. You know, when we have the young adult, there's more language there. But in middle grade, we're dealing within this level where, you know, they're dealing with the first crushes. They're dealing with not understanding how to navigate parental love when that parent moves out of the home. They don't have the language for that, as you said earlier. So when they read, and, you know, I I guess what I want to do is to give them that experience I had with Baldwin early on. Mm -hmm. So they'll read Love Light Sky and maybe say, well, you know, this book opens my eyes to a lot of things. And and I've been surprised how little kids relate, how, how, how kids relate to a book, how they say, oh, you know, um, I understand because I don't, my stepsister didn't like me at first, but then we, now we have a great relationship. They're eight, nine, and they're understanding that. Mm-hmm. Just like Georgie and Tangie. You know, we didn't start off really close at first, but now we are. So they can see that growth that I really worked hard to show in Love Light Sky, and they can see it in their personal relationships. The emo- emotional truthfulness and learning that you're modeling, processing these emotions through the story, watching Georgie do it, hear Georgie do it, Let's talk about a couple technical things about your work writing. I am very intrigued by how creators create, how they actually physically are. I know some writers who they have a dream and they write down a sentence and they just, they start working from that sentence. What does that sentence mean? I know authors who are very deliberate in that they are they want to write a mystery. They're going to write a mystery and they already know what the genre is. I know writers who hear certain words and they just start speaking the story. And then that extends into the revision process. So I know uh, some writers have maps, some writers (laughs) just rewrite, 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 rewrite. (laughs) And some writers, and, and this is largely the poets, I think, but there are some novelists who do this, that they actually read aloud to themselves and that the story to themselves and then continue almost speaking while they write it down. I think I, I know one writer, if she could use a dictaphone to write it, if she could re- you just use a microphone and have a, have a capture, that's how she would do the novel. If she never had to use her fingers other than hit the record button, I think that's how she'd do it. So how do you do this? I'm about the page. I don't often write in longhand, but sometimes I do. But I have to type. Um, I cannot work with, I I can't work with recordings. Like Mm -hmm. if I have a beautiful thought and I I would find anything to write it on 
and there's my phone right there that I can record it. It just doesn't feel the same for some reason unless I can write it and I can mm-hmm. see it. Even if it's in my you know scribbly handwriting, that to me is just evidence of something written and printed that I can see and, and I love that. I'm, I still like to print out hard copies mm-hmm. of my drafts and I'm working, I'm trying to be, and you, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with this language, a, uh, I think it's pantsers versus plotters or something like that. I am a, a person that kind of writes off the you know, seat of her pants, as that saying goes. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have trouble outlining, and I've always had that, you know, it's, and, and I've seen some writers, they have a wall, and it's like a whole, it's, it's the entire book mapped out. Mm-hmm. I will just start, open a page or Word document, mm-hmm. and I'll have an idea, and, and, and I'll go from there. And sometimes you don't know, you know, to, 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 to go back to the origins of Love Light Sky, Georgie has been around as a character, believe it or not, in, in adult work, um, adult short stories. Mm-hmm. But she was always a secondary character, didn't didn't hear from her much. But I really, and I'll honestly tell you, I had a, a moment where I was writing and Georgie's voice was like, put me in, coach, put me in, I can do it, I can... You know, I can carry the story. That was, Love Like Sky is my first time writing from the middle grade point of view. So when I trusted that voice, and it's about trust, I trusted the voice. I trusted this character to just go. And because writing is therapeutic, because writing takes us on journeys, I did not know at the time what journey it was going to take me on. You know, as I as I mentioned in in a other forms, that unfortunately my my family suffered the loss of my one of my younger brothers tragically. I never wanted to write about that. I haven't written anything printed about that, and it happened at this point several years ago. But I started writing Love Light Sky after that. And Victoria, this goes back to the origins of work, to the love of work, the love of language. Even though I don't deal with that in this book per se, I I, I believe that he informs it. His spirit walked me through that love-like sky scene because I was trying to understand how do I make sure that I have an eternal love for my brother or can feel it with him not being here. Maybe I'm not saying it perfectly now, but that's how it is. It's an imperfect feeling when you're trying to deal with grief. You don't know. Mm-hmm. Now that I think in retrospect that Love Like Sky has been out for two years, it wasn't until after it was completed that I looked back and said, oh my goodness, this is a love letter to my brother. So you were surprised by the emotional truth you revealed to yourself through this process. Because I do think that really in the most emotionally true novels, the author is also surprised by the end. By not so much the end of the plot, the end of the process when you know the story, for lack of a better term, is fully rounded. That is truly the way to put it. I could not have gone into this to say, I'm going to write a book that I'm going to dedicate to my brother. I couldn't have done that. It was just 
trusting the process as, as people here going with the emotions and not trying to pigeonhole your emotions into the story that you want to tell, but the story that comes to you, the voices that come to you. Now, you would think that since I lost a brother, that I would have written about a sister and, and her younger brother. That is not the story yeah. that came. But um, there is a, a character called Kept Back Kevin Jenkins in my novel. A little bit of my brother is in Kept Back Kevin Jenkins, you know. So he, he's all through the book in ways that I did not recognize until I stepped away from it. So all the writers out there who, you know, would-be writers, aspiring writers, this process, you never know until you just go with it. You know, go with that story that you did not think that it was time to write. Go with that voice that you hear that you're, you know, pushing back. Because I pushed Georgie back for a while. But when it first came to me, when it came to me so strong I couldn't resist, this was the reason why. And I wrote Love Like Sky just off of that one voice. But I, I have a lot of characters. <laughs> There's a lot of characters I have to say in the book. That gives me a new appreciation for the level of storytelling. Thinking about Georgie, figuring out how to tell her truth, what the right words for her truth are, what the right language for her truth is, not requiring it to be a one-to-one -one correspondence, but being allowing herself to be emotionally creative, creative with language. So you brought that same emotional creativity and linguistic creativity to the story and listen to Georgie be emotionally creative and linguistically creative, and then modeling that same creativity for readers so that they also can be encouraged to be emotionally truthful, emotionally creative, and, and linguistically creative. And so it's just like a beautiful... That is what, to me, it's all about. And you don't realize it in the moment, Victoria, but, you know, when you when you see a kid holding your book, when, when you see an adult that says, oh, I was inspired to do this because of the book, mm -hmm. you you know that, wow, I did something here, that, that this is what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to be about Georgie, her friends, but if you're going with the universal theme, you touch on things that you didn't even know you were touching on. Maybe even in the book, things are not, they're imperfect, because that's, that's life. That's what realistic fiction is all about. It's not about the perfect, it's about the imperfections. Yes, because people are imperfect. Right. It wouldn't be realistic fiction if it wasn't. So I, I love the mistakes that are made. I, I love that this is how these things unfold. This is a little, some of it is dysfunctional. Some of it's not. You never, you just, it's, it's a hodgepodge. Most middle grade <laughs> books have about the same physical size. They can have more pages or less pages, but middle grade book is usually about six tall and maybe five wide. And this book, actually, that I'm holding up is about the size of Love Like Sky. Sadly, we're trapped in quarantine times, and I could not get a physical copy in my house. But this book is about the same size as Love Like Sky. But the emotions of Love Like Sky, the magic of a book is it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. The, just the heart of it and the spirit of it takes a child takes a reader to so many different places and you've given so much heart and spirit to this story that is really rewarding and empowering and the word I'm thinking of right now is fruitful 
I don't know why, <laughs> but I just, I think it's such a, a fruitful book because it's filled with living. And that's what I'm filled with. Thank, you know, thank goodness for that. And that's what I was raised around. I was raised in, as I said, I, even though I left Bogalusa when I was, you know, five or six, I've, I've returned several times, of course, with family still there. But if it's filled with living, if it's filled with people doing their best, working out, um, dealing with racism, dealing with love, dealing with how to to navigate, you know, this world we're in, then I've done the best job I can do in the novel because that's that's what I would I would like to to bring every time you read it and if a child is reading a, this chapter or that chapter they're discovering a way in which they didn't understand how maybe a, a certain group of people have done some things and say for instance I, I know quite a few times um, I have presented Love Like Sky to a group of people say for instance students where there was not an African-American girl present or a boy. Mm -hmm. So it is interesting, and I love those occasions, too, because they are exposed. And that's, and that's what I love to see about, about how books teach us how to live. There should be a situation or, or circumstances where we have a, a white girl who's reading Love Like Sky and understands that this girl is just like me. Fast forward to 2020, when we're having all this racial conflict, we have to start informing kids younger, as young as possible, that, hey, you know, the differences are there, but, but these are humans, you're human, and reading is one of the ways that we can make this happen. And the, the sooner that we expose to different um, ethnicities, the better off that a, a child will be. I was once in Barnes and Noble, and I've told this story on, on social media, where I'm at, I'm at, uh, I'm at a bookstore, and a mom, a, a white mom, she comes up, and you know she wants to buy a book, and she buys it. She has me sign it, and she turns to her 12 year old daughter, and she says, "Who do you think we could give this to?" And the daughter says, "Mom, I want to read it." So the mom did not think maybe because there was a little black girl on the cover. Mm -hmm that her daughter would be interested in this as well. And that's an aha moment for a parent to say, hey, you know, um, am I the one that's preventing my daughter from being diverse or from discovering diversity or from understanding that we're more alike than different, in, than different in some aspects? Generally, kids are not the problem. It's the adults. Right. <laughs> You know, so there you have it. So we can, only, as writers, we, we, we can present, you know, the tools in books, such as the ones we mentioned with um, Drew Parker Rose and, and Brandy uh, Colbert. There, there are tools there. So we give the tools and they're for the parents. So Love Light Sky not only talks about it, it does have the undertone of, of talking about police brutality. It deals with blended families. We're dealing with um, illness. But at the end of the day, we have tools that parents can use to access these different difficult topics for children if they want a place to discuss these issues. I can't say enough about this book. And I am a woman with a bitter, bitter heart. This is known. Well, to ask anybody. I would like to end with two of my favorite sentences from the book. I will read them because I think this is, I think this is just, this really gets to the spirit of it. I knew 
that our blended up family wasn't going to always be like the party tonight. But I was Peach's big sister, just like Tangi was mine. And I prayed that I'd always be there for both of them the best I could. And isn't that all that any of us can do? That is it. The best that we can. The best that we can. And if, if, if a young kid takes that to heart, I've done my job. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Little Brown School and Library Podcast. Thank you, Victoria. Thanks for having me. Gentle listeners throughout the universe, you need to make the correct life choice today and pick up Love Like Sky by Leslie C. Youngblood. Next year, in the year of the Holy Godpus 2021, I would very much like for you to pick up Forever This Summer. Also by Leslie C. Youngblood, continuing the lovely adventures of Georgie, also known as G-Baby. They should be on your bedside table soon, and we'll see you next time.